Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, Kevin, today we're talking about how marketers can craft an offer so good that your prospects feel stupid saying no to it. We're going to give you our seven-step process for crafting an offer that you can work through from beginning to end, so make sure you listen to the whole episode. Kevin, we're in season five of the podcast. Tell us what it's all about. That's it, George. We're in season five. Listeners, you will know by now that season five is be the best, the fifth and final B of our five B's framework. This podcast is all about our step-by-step evergreen framework, the five B's, and that started with be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, and now be the best. And it's all about how you can go about your B2B marketing. And as George said, we're talking about how to make an offer so good, your customer feels stupid saying no. And that fits nicely into Be The Best as we look at some further areas of study that we wanted to dig into this season to really round out the discussion about the framework and to bring back some of the key concepts that we really want you to hone in on at this stage in the framework, in your journey, in honing your B2B marketing growth engine. That's it, Kevin. Look, it's a very important episode because look, marketers, you can have the best product in the world, but... If the customer doesn't see the value in it and it's not that easy to communicate or it's not that easy to fulfill the promise that you're making, then marketing and sales is going to be infinitely harder. Your job is going to be way harder. Now, 
the insights and the steps that we're giving you for this episode, a lot of them are inspired by our own experience, but also by April Dunford's obviously awesome. She's amazing when it comes to positioning and messaging. And Alex Holmosey, his book, $100 million offers, which sounds a little bit more clickbaity. It is a little bit more B2C focused, but we've taken the key learnings away from them, adapted them to the B2B context based on our experience, and we've integrated in a way that's going to be super helpful for you listeners. So today we're going to give you those seven steps to follow to craft an offer so good that your customers feel stupid saying no to it. Now, this is about crafting your offer in a way that's attractive to your potential customers, and it really comes down to how you position it. Can you position your product or your service for your business in a way that makes it feel like it was made for a specific customer to the exclusion of others? What does that mean? Look, it's why sales-led organizations, they're more inclined to choose Pipedrive over HubSpot for their CRM. And it's why marketing-led organizations might be more inclined to choose HubSpot over others. They're both CRMs, but they're tailoring their features and benefits for their segment of the market. So if you go to their websites, Pipedrive is going to talk straight to salespeople. If you go to HubSpot's website, it's going to talk straight to inbound marketers. And Kev... Let's go into the seven key steps for crafting this perfect offer. Yeah, pretty important episode, listeners. And as we jump into these seven steps, just keep in mind that as always, we're giving you a very practical framework for following to execute on how you can get that offer as best as you can. And so the first one kicking off is niching down. So pretty similar to that concept of 80-20 analysis, it'll start to sound very familiar as we get into it. We need to first niche down because it helps us get cut through. It gets a lot more cut through when we have that match between the niche and your solution. And so the more niche your solution is, the more niche that audience that you're targeting to is, the more you can charge for it because it's so specific to that particular niche that you can justify a higher cost. And importantly, your customers can also justify a higher cost. So examples might be time management software generally could be $19 for a month. But if you frame that as time management software for sales professionals, then you might be able to go up to $99 a month. And then if you go even further than that and you say time management software for outbound B2B sales, maybe you can charge $4.99 for uh, that particular service per month. And even going further than that, if you niche down into the industry as well, you can say, Our product is the time management solution for outbound B2B power tools and gardening sales reps that maybe you're charging $1,997 per month for that product because you're so niche down, you're really the only alternative for these particular groups of people for that particular niche. So you can really say, hey, yes, you can buy a $19 time management software, but it doesn't have any of the features you actually need as a p2p outbound person as a sales rep as a person in that role in the particular industry of looking after power tools and gardening it really starts with as you said doing that 80 20 analysis looking at which 20 percent of your customers are driving 80 percent of the revenue or the output who do you want to focus on as a segment to really nail down to drive that revenue that you need for the next six to 12 months you know if we're trying to target a bunch of segments, then our message is going to be diluted. We need more resources to fulfill all of them. But if we find ones and we make our product a total no-brainer for them, 
and we focus on serving them as much as possible, well, then all of a sudden we can be so much more specific. And as you become more specific, as you become more niche, if the market is large enough, therefore, you can start to charge more for it because your features can be tailored to them more. The benefits that they get are then going to be amplified. And that then means that the return that they get from your product is going to be larger. And that's something that we're going to get into later when we look at value-based pricing. So Kev, step one was niching down, uh, doing that 80-20 analysis to really find that niche, who it is that you're going to focus on for your next six to 12 months to hit those business goals. Step two is about really deeply understanding those dream customers. And Kev, this probably sounds familiar to a lot of people who listen to our podcast. Uh, this is really following our 5Bs framework. It's the from stage one, be ready. You can never skip these stages whenever you're looking at applying some kind of framework. So we've niched down step one. Step two is understanding your dream customers. What does that mean, Kev? That means doing customer interviews to deeply understand the needs and the pain points of that niche audience that you identified in step one. So you've got to focus on what the biggest pain points are that they have and then find out what business challenges that presents. So for us, Kev, with the B2B Incubator, we're helping B2B marketing managers get together a demand generation strategy because they just don't have the time to put it together. They're so busy reacting to the constant needs of the business. They always thinking in the short term, but they don't have the opportunity. They don't have the time to focus on the long term. And there's a huge pain there for them because if they don't address the long term, then one day the short term's going to run out pipeline's going to dry up and leadership is going to go, hey, marketing, what have you been doing? Where is our next pipeline coming from? And so there's a huge pain there. We really gathered that by one, being B2B marketers ourselves, but also talking to our customers as much as possible. And then again, it's about figuring out what business challenges does that present? Well, that can stop your business from scaling if you're not creating demand. We talk about those pains all the time of just capturing demand. You often can't grow sustainably because you're just competing for a limited set of people uh, that are ready to buy right now. And unless that market is rapidly growing, it's like jumping into a pool full of sharks with you and your competitors just chomping at the bit for the same number of customers. And it gets more and more expensive over the year and it becomes unsustainable. So, finding out what those business challenges are, framing it in a way to show that you understand it and you can help is really key. Now, once you've got a good understanding of those pains and what those challenges are, put yourself in the shoes of your dream customers and ask yourself or ask them even, what would the dream outcome be for those customers if they used your solution to their problem? For us, it's that marketer walking away with a demand generation strategy up and running in 12 weeks. The program has act, acted as a forcing function. They've then committed the time over those 12 weeks to get that up and running. And that's a huge weight off their chest. That is really key. That's the dream outcome. That's something that we gathered from speaking to a lot of our customers. There are, Kev, other factors that we want to consider when looking at this dream outcome. Okay, we've promised this dream outcome, but... The customer's probably asking themselves, what is the likelihood of me actually achieving that? And it's up to us as marketers to show the dream customer that it's as likely as possible. And of course, the more niche we get, 
with who it is our product is servicing, the more we can genuinely help those people because we understand their we understand their needs. So we've got to show them that there is a very high likelihood of achievement. Other factors to consider, Kevin, are the time and effort required to achieve that dream outcome. So it's not enough for us to just promise this big dream outcome. It's going to take some work from the buyer's end to put this into action. There's no silver bullet. There's no band-aid solution. We have to really try and establish that the time and effort required to achieve this dream outcome is able to be brought down. We want to reduce that as much as possible. So reducing the time to success and reducing the effort to achieve this becomes really crucial. And Kevin, you're able to do these things much more once you've niched down because we know exactly what their problems are and we know exactly how to remedy it. I think when you have these two steps overlapping, that's where the power really comes in. Once you've done that niche and down, as George said, listeners, you can then really understand your dream customers a lot better. You can be very specific in their needs, their requirements, and their biggest pain points so you can address them head on when you start to go through the other steps of how to hone your offer in the coming steps that we're about to talk about. But really, the starting point is doing that niching down, making sure you're looking at the right customers, the right niche, before you start to dig into understanding them, understanding their pain points, understanding what that dream outcome looks like for them, so that you can start to build your offer, your product, your whole process around those points. And so after you have that understanding of your dream customers, let's start putting that into action. Step three is defining your unique value propositions based on this dream outcome you have established in understanding your dream customers. So your customer interviews have helped inform this by mapping out those pain points, the features and benefits that you want to talk to. But we need to go one level further. We need to go deeper to understand why your company served this particular segment of customers so much better than it did for all the other segments that you could potentially be servicing. List out your top 10 features and benefits of your product in the eyes of the customer. Potentially a lot of that has already come through in the customer interviews. If it hasn't, we definitely encourage you to do this. And then really take that a step further and start to compare that with your five closest competitors. Score from one to 10, 10 being that you're doing very well and one being there's lots of room for improvement on particular features and benefits and see how you stack up against your closest competitors. Let's see which of your features and benefits are really defensible so that you can hone in on those. This is the legwork to really figure out what's that connection between your brand then and your strong understanding of the niche or segment of customers that you want to go after. And that then leads into step four, which is how to position your company. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. 
Kevin, yeah, just before we get into to step four, I think you, you can't skip that step of really listing those features and benefits because as Kevin said, it's going to highlight for you which features and benefits your product offers to that segment that you guys do better than the competition. And that's where your unique value is going to be. That's where your unique value proposition is. And the more readily identifiable your unique value is to a customer, the more they're going to be like, oh, of course you guys are perfect for me because you serve me in a way that nobody else does. And it's also going to be easier to talk to that group and it's going to be easier to communicate to them. And again, don't make these up. Please don't make these up. Just listen to your customers, speak to as many as you can. They will literally tell you. At the end of every single cohort that we do for the B2B incubator, we speak to every candidate. We ask them about the top features and benefits, what they liked, what they didn't like. We then count which ones are mentioned and we try and gauge their sentiment out of 10 as to you know, how much they like those. And then we looked honestly to see how do we compare to the competition? How do our templates compare to the competition? Are they better? Are they worse? What about the actual content itself? How does that compare? Does anyone else have on-demand modules or is it you have to show up and get the content and once the content's gone, that's too bad? But we've got to understand why people are choosing us over others. And the only way you're going to get that is by asking them directly. And the fantastic thing here is, listeners, every one of your businesses will have features and benefits where you stack up strongly against your competitors. If you're not, if you're not doing all that, then you're probably not in a position to be thinking about your marketing at this deeper level. You wouldn't be at this stage in your 5Bs framework journey. If you've gotten to this stage, you really have a lot of those in place already. You've done that hard leg work in stages one, two, maybe even three. And now it's just about refining and honing your offer to reflect a lot of the good work that your business, your brand, and your marketing team has already done to date. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Don't shy away from this process. It's really going to help you hone in and have that cut through that you're really hoping for from your marketing efforts. And as George said, now that you've had that comparison and list of features that you've looked at against your competitors, then you're in a position to really position your company correctly. And on positioning, Kevin, that's step four. So step one was niche down, do your 80-20 analysis. Step two was understand those dream customers as much as possible. Step three was then define your unique value propositions based on that dream outcome. Step four is now we take all that information and we're going to position our company. We've gone through those first three steps. We understand who our best customers are. We know what they love about our product. We know about the value that it delivers. So we can start to write our own positioning statement. And look, there's really three major types of positioning that you can use. And they are head-to-head, -head, big fish, small pond, and new category. And I'm just going to run through each of these quickly Head-to-head -head is where you position yourself to take on the leader in a well-defined market category that already exists in the minds of the customers. So if there's already an established leader, your goal is to beat them at their own game by convincing customers that you are the best at delivering the solution. It would be like entering the CRM market and trying to take on Salesforce or HubSpot at their own game, positioning yourselves in the exact same way that they do. So if you're Salesforce, you're probably positioning yourself as an enterprise solution. And if you're HubSpot, then you're probably targeting inbound a little more. But that would be trying to take on the incumbents. It's tough. 
it's really expensive. You've got a lot of work to do to convince people that you are as good as these incumbents and you probably don't have the resources or features to back it up, quite frankly. The second type of positioning is the big fish small pond. Now, this is where you aim to dominate a piece of an existing market category. Your goal is not to take on the overall market leaders directly, but you want to win in a well-defined segment of the market. And you do this by targeting buyers in a sub-segment of that broader market who have slightly different requirements that are not being met by the current overall market leader. Basically, Kev, it means just taking the existing pie and carving off a little slice for yourself. So if you're looking at CRMs again, that's exactly what Pipedrive did. You know, they saw that CRMs weren't being built for salespeople, they were being built for marketers, and they said, you know what, screw the marketers, we are salespeople first CRM, and that's their little slice of the market. And it's what allows really so many different CRM solutions to exist, because everyone's just sliced off a little bit of the market, tailored their features and benefits to them specifically, and then they're able to coexist. Big Fish Small Pond is the approach we recommend many, many businesses take, Uh, because it's far easier to enter that market. It means that you can be a big fish in a small pond. You don't need a lot of resources to stand out from the crowd. And you can always move to a bigger pond once you outgrow that pond. The third type of positioning is new category. Kev, I think this is the one that a lot of businesses want to do from the beginning. They're very eager to try and create a new market. Everyone thinks that what they've done has never been done before. Look, that might be true. And in this case, if you are trying to establish a new category, your goals are first to prove to customers that a new market category even deserves to exist. And then to define the parameters of that market in the minds of the customers and then position yourself as the leader within it. It's, look, it's basically what Uber did, right, Kev? They had to justify that this deserved to exist. Why was this a better form of transport to taxis? And my goodness, that has taken an enormous amount of budget and resources to convince people that this was the right way to do it, and then to continue to hold and maintain their position. They had competitors come out from all over the shop afterwards, but it required an enormous amount of venture capital for them to do that education and then to maintain their foothold as the new category leaders. It's not something we recommend a lot of businesses pursue because education is so incredibly expensive. As we said, big fish, small pond method is often the most applicable to newer businesses with limited resources and is the one that we recommend. Couldn't agree with you more there, George, as you said, with the new category build, it is very cost inhibitive. A lot of these businesses that are able to do that successfully, they have a lot of venture backing. If you're one of those lucky businesses that happens to experience that amount of growth at the beginning that you're able to say to venture capitalists and venture funds and say, hey, we have a new product with a very innovative product in this new industry, and here's the massive scope for growth and you're lucky enough to get that funding, then you have the firepower, you have the resources to go after that sort of approach. And kudos to those businesses that do. But as George said, most businesses don't. And it's a lot easier to go through and be the big fish in the small pond first, carve out a niche, really dominate that niche, and then expand to 
complementary niches, adjacent niches, and start to grow the size of the pond over time, start to dominate that way before you start to get to a position where you can actually afford to go head to head or try and create a new category in your own ride with a new product or the same product but reframed. Just make sure that you're matching the right resources, the right approach to your particular business. As George said, the big fish in a small pond is the approach we recommend for most businesses. It's certainly the one that we've unexpectedly stumbled into ourselves uh, with the demand gem movement that is really building steam. We're able to piggyback off that term and its recognition in the marketing space and build our podcast and brand around that to niche down into the B2B space. When we talk about demand gen and we're talking about our podcast and our framework and our approach to doing that same demand gen process, but in a 12-week process in a very structured way that's very practical for our listeners and people who go through the B2B incubator to hopefully be able to action very quickly. I want to shed a little bit more light on that, Kevin. Look, when we started out, when we were releasing the B2B Playbook podcast, we just saw what we were doing as good, sustainable B2B marketing strategy. We frame it as demand generation, but as you said, that was something that we decided to do later on. Originally, we thought we would position it, as I said, good, sustainable B2B marketing strategy. But when I started talking about that, people didn't know what that meant. People thought it was to do with being eco-warriors, talking about sustainability and B2B marketing, and there was a whole lot of confusion. And sure, we could have tried to stick at it and make that term our own, but God, it would have taken so long. And then it turns out that there's this concept of demand generation. The demand generation movement is really moving. And a lot of the frameworks that we talk about is really demand generation focused. It's just a fancy word for sustainable B2B marketing. And so then we repositioned ourselves to fit in that category so people understood what it is that we were talking about. We no longer had to convince them that this was something worth paying attention to. We were able to then capture the attention of those who already wanted to learn more about it. We also really originally, when we launched the B2B Incubator, we tried to say that, look, this isn't your run-of-the-mill course. This is a program. It's a little bit more like consulting. And that is largely true. It's like very hands-on. You get a lot of my time when you go through the program. We do it in small groups, so it can be quite tailored. It can be very tactical at times as well. But companies didn't always have budget for this kind of thing. When someone says to their boss, oh, hey, I'd love to do this program. It's not a course. It's this kind of consulting hybrid thing. I really think we should do it. I think it's going to be really beneficial. Well, they might not have a line item in the budget for that, but everyone has a line item in the budget for a course. So at the end of the day, it just made sense for us to start position ourselves as a course. And what do you need with courses? All of a sudden we're competing in that category. We've got to adopt some of the features that that category has. Things like certification. So now when people go through our program, they automatically get demand generation certification once they complete it at the end, because that's a core component of being in that category. So that's a little bit of insight as to how Kevin and I have used this process to really readapt what we're doing, reframe it. And God, life has been so much easier for us, Kevin, because we just didn't have the resources to do that education. Yeah, a real life example of how to position your company and a bit on the fly for us, but uh, hopefully it's working out and will continue to work out going forward. Step five then in the process of making that offer irresistible is determining your price strategy. 
Now, there's a lot of different pricing strategies out there, but it needs to really start with understanding the value that customers place on your solution. So if, for example, your solution costs 10 grand, but really there's uplift of 100K from the customer after using your product or solution, then that's a 10X return there. So it doesn't really matter how much that initial investment was. What really matters is how does it compare to the value that it drives? You know, is it 10X uh, and so on. And it's easy to calculate these returns when you niche down because the value-based pricing often requires a deeper understanding of your customer's business and how much value you can drive those particular businesses. And so you can imagine if you niche down and all the businesses are quite similar in structure and things like that, and the return that they can get from the value of your particular product or service, then it's a lot easier to say, hey, there's definitely a 10x return for your business if you use our product or service. Now, whatever pricing strategy you choose, it should really be based on just that, on that value that you are driving that you can make the customer in return for using your product or service. Make that business case so much easier. It makes that business case so much easier when you can put in front of the buying committee, here's exactly how much value you're gonna drive from using our product or service. And then it's a lot easier to justify a higher ticket item of your pricing strategy. And that's why we say when you niche down at the beginning of step one, when you niche down, you're able to drive up that price and that makes your life easy as well. You can invest more, you have a higher margin, you can invest more into developing your product to really hone in and match your particular niche. That's it, Kev, value-based pricing. That means it's much easier to make your business case and it's much easier to make it a complete no-brainer in the eyes of that buying committee. And yeah, I really encourage marketers to try and understand like what the ROI is, what the return is for a company. And so I think a great way to do that is again, speak to those best customers of yours. You guys must have some customers that are advocates for your brand. Find out what the impact is internally and turn those conversations into business cases. And it's just putting a value, isn't it, against all the things that we actually want to deliver at the end of the day. Yes, we want to make a profit. Yes, we want our business to be successful. But we also really want our customers to succeed and be along that journey of success with us. Without them, we can't sustain a business. We can't grow our business. So we need to make sure they're really getting the value and we can drive that value for them. And if we can actually calculate that, if we can quantify it, we can keep improving our products and services and our offerings, not just our offer, but the products themselves as well to make it better for them, to maximize the value that they get. And that will in turn maximize the value that we can get from our process, from our offer. All right, Kev. So that was step five, which was determining your price strategy. A quick little recap of the steps so far. We had step one, which was niche down. Step two, understand those dream customers from that set that you've niched down on. Step three was then define your unique value proposition. So see what uh, sets you apart from the competition. Step four is then take all that information and reposition your company. Step five is determine your pricing strategy. And now we're on to step six, which is you've got to try and reduce the fear in the mind of your customer as much as possible. Now, Kevin, I always love to say, remember that it is a human on the other side of this. If someone recommends your product or your service and it doesn't work out, then that's a bad look for them. They've convinced the rest of the buying committee, their colleagues, their seniors, their juniors, that this is the right thing to do. Your product or service is perfect for them. 
And if you let them down, or there's a great fear that you let them down, it's something that can be addressed in a performance review. People can talk behind your back. It's not a nice experience. It's that old saying that no one gets fired for hiring IBM. If you're the incumbent, it's much easier for someone to hire you because no one's going to be like, why did you choose them? But if they're going to take a risk on you, that's something that you have to keep in mind. So you've got to actively work to reduce their fear. Great ways of doing that. We've covered a bunch in this season, actually. It's things like guarantees. So what guarantees can you offer from your product? Is there a 30, 60, whatever day guarantee that you have or a result-driven guarantee that you have that says, hey, if you don't achieve this outcome and you've taken X, Y, Z steps, we will give you your money back or just put you back into the position as if we'd never done business before. Something to really put their mind at ease. Other things that help reduce fear, of course, are social proof case studies, particularly when it comes from customers that those dream customers can readily identify as. So someone who is in their sub-segment. So again, if you were pipe drive and you're selling to sales-led organizations, obviously you would try and sell to other sales-led organizations using their case studies because they're things that are very relatable. There's very good social proof there from people that look just like your company and have had great success with your company. So guarantees and social proof really go a long way to reduce that fear in the mind of the customers. Once you've got all that ready and you've got all the information you need to get all the way to reducing the fear in the mind of the customer, now it's about crafting and testing your offer. You've probably done this already in some way or form, but now we have all the components for our offer to take it to the next level. So things like what does that dream outcome look like? Exactly who is that offer for? Who is the product or service for? What's the value? Can you put a number on it? And what's the time frame for delivery of that value as well? And then why the risks will be minimized. So that's your guarantees coming in. What can we do to make sure that they can reduce? What can we do to make sure that even in our offer, it's clear that there's minimal risk in taking on the offer and combine all these to test different offers, different framings of these different elements and send it to your best customers as well. You know, you can see exactly what resonates and what works best with your existing dream customers. We've had cases where we've talked about on the podcast where we thought one message wasn't going to work the best. We asked our dream customers. And in fact, those are the ones that resonated the most with our dream customers. Even going through all the interviews, even sitting with our dream customers all day, sometimes we just need them to give us that indicator rather than us having a guess because we won't be in the minds of our dream customers all the time. That's it. And look, just to run through those again and give the example of how we've done this for the B2B incubator, what's the dream outcome for a lot of our marketers? It's getting your demand gen engine up and running. Who is it for? We've defined it's for time-strapped B2B marketing managers in small teams. What's the value? The value they're getting is the strategy, the templates, and the tools to do it yourself. And it's a forcing function to make you actually go ahead and put this together because you're probably not going to make time for it otherwise. What's the time frame for delivery? We make that very simple. It's 12 weeks. Why is the risk minimal? Look, we give a guarantee that if you don't have a good understanding of how to build a demand engine for your business at the end of those 12 weeks, we just offer you your money back. You know, we so firmly believe in our framework. We've had so much success with the framework that we are very willing to offer that guarantee. And we then take those elements and we combine them to test different offers. 
We sent combinations of these out to our best customers to see which resonate the most. We actually did that in a collaboration we did. If we did it live and we've recorded the whole thing where we asked one of our customers, Monica, which of these offers resonates with her the most. And it's the one that's sitting on our landing page right now, which is get your demand generation strategy out of your head and down on paper. And that is what we use now because that is what is resonating with our dream customers. So make sure that you validate that with your best customers before you take it to market. It's going to save you a lot of time and a lot of money in testing. And there you go, listeners. That is our seven-step framework for how to make your offer so good that your customer will feel stupid saying no. Key takeaways for this episode. To make an offer a no-brainer, it has to feel like your product was made just for a specific group of people at the exclusion of others. The best insights to help inform this exercise and the seven-step process to building such an offer can be taken from the customers themselves. Make sure to lean on your best customers throughout this process. And make sure you go out and validate and test your offer before throwing huge resources behind it. Combine the elements of the offer that you find have resonated the most and make sure to hone in on those and to use those in all your communications going forward. Beautiful. Thank you, Kevin. Very good. Okay, listeners, as always, you can find links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. And look, Kevin and I are just so grateful that each week more and more marketers are tuning in or catching us on YouTube every Monday morning. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show on to someone who you think would get value from it. Also, feel free to leave your feedback in a comment. It's a huge help to us, our future listeners, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Kevin. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.